All right, everybody, welcome to a Cubs podcast to be named later. I'm your host, Joe Kilgallen. Big shout out to all the listeners, everybody. You guys are the best. Thank you for checking out the podcast. I've been loving doing this. Been a little bit of a break between my last podcast and this one that you're listening to right now, but I'm very excited for you to check out this episode. A lot has gone on since I've last chatted with you all. The Los Angeles Dodgers have finally won a World Series, their first one since 1988. Pathetic going that long without winning a World Series. What a joke. A joke of an organization. No, I'm kidding, of course. You know, you got to give them respect. You got to give the Dodgers some respect. They beat the Rays in six games. Uh, Some questionable moves by the Rays. Kevin Cash pulling Snell way too early. And um, and there's going to be more conversation about that throughout the offseason. Throughout the offseason, everybody, because... I'm, I want to continue doing this weekly, and I feel like this is going to be a very slow off season, as we've already seen the very little movement in baseball has been teams declining options, and some of these options are like really, seriously, Cleveland, Brad Hand, you're not gonna. That's he's a top reliever. He's actually nominated for AL Reliever of the Year, and you're not gonna pick up his ten million dollars. That's that's something. Okay, weird. The Cardinals, Colton Wong, wow. All right, didn't see. I mean, barely an average hitter, sure, but also an elite defensive player, great base runner. Seemed like a reasonable option at twelve million. Okay, okay. Charlie Morton, no longer a Ray. All right, well, the Rays are kind of broke, even in seasons with fans. So maybe not that shocking from that team, but still, okay. And it's kind of you know, there's been a few more here or there. The Cubs have uh, declined the option on John Lester. That was not shocking. It's uh, it was a twenty field. $25 million option. Sorry, I just ate some M&Ms, everybody, and they're still in my mouth, so kind of a stupid move to hit record before, uh, you know, drinking some water, maybe. So a little broadcasting 101 for some of you out there. Clear the M&Ms. They melt in your mouth. That's literally what they're famous for, and I've got some shell in my teeth still. $25 million option for John Lester. $10 million buyout. So that's a hefty buyout. The hope is that the Cubs could bring Lester back on a very cheap team-friendly deal. I'm imagining a couple million. Three. I can't see them going more than three million for him, seeing as how there are other starters that you could probably get similar production from, given this stage in John's career. A great career, mind you. And what a great guy, too. Shout out to John Lester for being an example of how you should carry yourself as both a professional athlete and as a human being. A man who's given a lot back to charity with his never quit uh, organization. Is that what I want to call it? Or charity. Just call it a charity. And um, and uh, foundation. That's the word I was looking for. Hey, how about it? And he buys Miller Lights for the city of Chicago. He bought everyone's first Miller Light at four to five select bars. I don't have the bars in front of me. I know Butch McGuire is one of my favorite places. Is one of them. And uh, and that was a great, that's a great move. I think it was almost $40,000 worth of Miller Lights. Very classy move. You said no matter what happens, this is for the great people in Chicago and support some local bars who, with the latest uh, COVID numbers going up, are hurting right now. So a great guy. I really I want the Cubs badly to bring back John Lester. I think as a fifth starter, he can be very serviceable. He could still eat innings. And if you look at his 2020 season, a very weird season for all parties involved, you minus the two starts against the White Sox, his ERA is in the high threes. I think it's like 3-8 or something like that. It's a very good ERA from your number four or five starter. And I know it's weird to say, oh, if you just minus the two worst starts, you could do that with anyone. It's a little different with the White Sox, though, because they notoriously crushed lefties. No lefties beat them all season. That team dominates left-handed starting or left-handed pitching in general. It's a very I'd be surprised if the White Sox didn't look to grab a left-handed bat for the sake of balancing their offense a little bit, but... They struggle against good righties, but they kill lefties, and Lester is a lefty. So you take those starts away, pretty good season. Not great, but very happy from a four or five starter. And I would like to, I'd like him back for sentimental reasons and because I do think he'll be serviceable for the 2021 Cubs. Now, today's podcast, everybody, I don't want to ramble too much up top, is the first a Cubs podcast to be named later with a guest. And a great guest it is. Uh, we don't just talk. Cubs baseball, but it is a lot of Cubs baseball. There's some comedy talk in the middle there that I think some people might be like, oh, this is pretty cool. So I'm leaving it in 
I was thinking about, oh, maybe I'll just cut those parts and keep the Cubs parts on this podcast. But then I thought, hey, a lot of people might be listening to this who don't listen to my other podcast. And you could get a taste of my other podcast while you're checking out this one that is centered around my beloved Chicago Cubs. Now, Roy Wood Jr. is also a diehard Cubs fan. He talks about going to Game 7 of the World Series. He also talks about working on The Daily Show, the process of auditioning and getting the job on The Daily Show. And also a game that him and I went to, that Roy and I went to, in which we saw Jake Arrieta's first no-hitter against the Dodgers back in uh, August 30th of 2015, I believe was the exact date. So a fun little story there for you. Uh, you're going to hear Roy in just a bit. Uh, quick, uh, another little ad. Check out my YouTube channel, everyone. I post a lot of podcast clips there. And a ton of my stand-up comedy is also there, about uh, nearly three hours worth of stand-up comedy. Other baseball-related news, the Cubs, of course, picked up Anthony Rizzo's option. Thank God. I think, uh, I thought, if anything, maybe they would decline it just to extend him at maybe a little bit less than the 16-5 um, that he was due this year. You know, maybe they're like, hey, we need to save a little bit of money against the luxury tax, which they should be well under anyway. A lot of teams are cutting payroll. That's just as fans, you need to accept that at this point. Uh, we can get into arguments later on about if that's the right move or not. I think that's just what's going to happen a lot. You know, yeah, there's a lot of billionaire owners, but they have diverse businesses where it's like this business that the money for this is this, the money that we make from here goes toward this. And look, that's the way it goes. You could all say, well, if I were a billionaire, I would, yeah, but you know, we're not. So unfortunately, it's a bummer. And I just hope that uh, a lot of the people who've lost jobs get the jobs back. And I think the Cubs will be competitive in 2021. I really do believe that. I don't believe they need to complete tear down, rebuild. And I do think we, as fans that are calling for that, you are, I don't know what world you're living on where you think rebuilds are automatic. Again, a lot of teams do rebuilds that don't work out. So you, you really, if you could have a year in which you just bridge a little bit where you're competitive, but also looking toward the future, you know, the Yankees did that recently. Um, uh, I'm trying to think whether organizations have done a good job of that, where they didn't completely fall off a cliff. I guess the Yankees are the best, most recent example. The Dodgers have reshuffled a few times and the Dodgers, I got to give a lot of credit to now that they've won a world series. Yes. You have to admit that they have been the best run organization 2015 to 2020 before that it was the Cubs. The Cubs are second best in that time frame because the Astros are cheaters. We know that. But also Andrew Friedman, who was with Tampa before and is, is great at his job. I'm not taking anything away from Andrew Friedman. He did a lot of amazing moves. He inherited a great situation. And I think that is not said enough. They were a 95-win team the season before he took over. They already had Seager and Bellinger and a bunch of other studs in the pipeline that were coming up. So it wasn't quite like, yeah, he made a couple of really good draft picks in Walker Bueller and Gavin Lux remains to be seen. You know, there's, there's some people that you're like, I'm not going to say they're a star yet. Will Smith was his draft pick. But the majority of that team was not, that were the homegrown version of that team weren't from him. They're from the previous administration. So, I, you know. And with the Rays, everyone's going goo goo gaga for the Rays. The Rays had four consecutive losing seasons from 2014 to 2017 before they started winning again in 2018, 2019, and going to the World Series in 2020. Everyone's just like, the Rays always do it well. I mean, they, yeah, these last three years for an extremely low payroll, they have made some amazing trades, fleecing the Pirates. If you're an executive for the Pirates and Tampa Bay shows up on your caller ID, you don't answer that phone anymore, right? That's got to be a new rule going forward for the Pittsburgh Pirates. But I, I mentioned the losing seasons because, yeah, it was a rebuild. They lost, rebuilt, traded some people. They did a great job, made it to the World Series. Again, be a small market team. I still don't, I, I think there's a reason the Rays and A's of the world don't win. They don't have enough to get them over that hump. You need to spend some money. And, uh, you know, I was rooting for the Rays, though, because I thought it was a great story. But I do want to remind fans, everyone's just like, every year, 90 wins. No, it hasn't been every year. They lost four seasons in a row. I think everyone forgets that in the middle there because they were so successful at the end of the last decade into the beginning of this decade. And, uh, man, it's weird. I think of 2009 as the end of the last decade, but technically the end of the last decade was 2019. But you guys know what I meant there. I'm just saying, though, there's a lot of teams when they have a long sustained success it's because it was following a bunch of losing seasons 
the Cubs from 2015 to 2020. And that's the window still open, by the way, everyone it hasn't shut yet. We won the division last year. Don't forget that playoffs five of the last six years. We had losing seasons in 2012, 2013, 2014. Yes, we had losing season in uh, 2010 and 2011, but those weren't rebuilding years. Those were stupid. Let's get Marlon Bird and 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 trade for people who are just kind of old and over the hill and aren't going to really help us this year. But it makes the fans think that maybe we're trying. I think those were the type of moves. You know what I mean? Like every every now and then, there's a difference. Like uh, I remember talking to, like my father's generation of Cubs fan, and they're like, "Oh, we've been rebuilding for a hundred years." No, we were bad. There's a difference between being bad and rebuilding. You're not signing Jeremy Burnett's to play right field. And that's not a knock on Jeremy Burnett's great guy from what I've heard and a good ball player, but you're not making that signing. If you're rebuilding, right? That's, that's the team that still thinks they could patch stuff together. Now this Cubs team, you know, this year with all the money coming off next year, and you do believe by 2022 fans will be back in the stands and we'll get those revenue streams going again. Then you think, all right, cool. We can make some big splashes. And we have some young people in the farm that should be coming up. Brendan Davis is of the world. Brandon Marquez. I think he'll make some appearances in 2021, at least second half. And by 2022, you'll definitely know his role a little bit further. And we still have guys like Ian Happ. I think Nico Horner is going to develop more into, I don't know if he's going to be an all-star, but I think he'll be a very good major league ball player. And, uh, and then you'll see, will we extend Contreras, Baez, uh, Rizzo, that type of thing. So I definitely think the Cubs can reconfigure their team, so to say. I think, you know, we'll get into more of the offseason stuff. Anyway, I don't want to ramble too much, but that's just a sneak peek of offseason stuff to come. Plus, I'll have some fun other things where we'll talk about. I, I got a couple friends who are pitchers who maybe I could get on the podcast and I could get their thoughts behind the whole third time through the order. Quick, go to the bullpen and, and other such things about that. Because I'm a big analytics guy, but there are also some human element stuff that I shared a tweet from Bob Costas earlier this week where I think he hit the nail on the head and we could dive into all sorts of stuff like that. So that's just a big tease of what you could expect from the podcast going forward. Also, I've started, uh, I'm going to start contributing to, I've joined the team. I haven't added anything to the team yet. On Tap Sports Net, you can hear me on their Cubs podcast, Cubs on Tap is the name of the podcast, ontapsportsnet.com is the website. They cover all Chicago sports, some pop culture stuff mixed in as well. So definitely check them out. Check out the podcast, Cubs on Tap. I'll be joining their roundtable and uh, contributing some blogs. Yeah, look at that. Some blogs. I haven't blogged in a long time, but I think I still know how to do it. I think. It's been seven or eight years since I've blogged. But, you know, you're just ranting about some stuff, I feel like. And then hopefully their editors will correct my commas when I make those mistakes. All right. Without further ado, everybody, here is my uh, podcast with the very funny stamp comedian got a couple specials out there. Look him up on YouTube. He was telling me he's on the daily show hosted. Uh, he's been on a bunch of things. He was in space force on Netflix. The guy's the best. You're going to love him. Everyone here is Roy Wood jr. All right. I'm sitting here with my man, Roy Wood jr. Dude, Roy, I got to start off with this. I don't think I've thanked you enough because every year I get reminded of this and you're the man I have to thank for this. I got to attend Jake Arietta's no hitter in Los Angeles. <laughs> Remember back in 2015 at the end of August. Yes. It was amazing. It was a bunch of cool comedians and love baseball. I, it wasn't just random comics. It was comics who legit appreciate the fucking game in the art form. Damn straight, man. Yeah. Cause we weren't just going to have some funny people. We needed people who are obsessed with baseball. Like you and I are, you had Sarah Tiana who was keeping score which I thought was awesome. Literally keeps the box score of games just for fun. Do you have that <laughs> scorecard? I know she was doing it for you. Yes. Yes. She gave it to me. I still have it. It's in storage at my mom's house. That's awesome. That's too sacred. It's too sacred for New York. Where I am here in New York, there's just nowhere on the wall to put it where I think anyone would appreciate it. So we'll just leave it alone. There you go. One day, one day you'll have it over a, uh, over a mantle or a yeah. fireplace or something. <laughs> Maybe not a fireplace. That might be a bad move yeah. for it. Yeah. But yeah, that was a great game, man. There? Steve Byrne, Felipe Esparza. <clears throat> I think that was everybody. Yeah, Felipe yeah. was the only Dodgers fan amongst us, though. And That's true. And what was, was cool about sad. it was I got there early because I don't mess around. And it was Dodger headphones with a giveaway. So I'll give Dodger Stadium credit. They had some good giveaways. And um, Steve and I were right next to each other. And I think it was Sarah, you, and then Felipe. That was the row. 
and a murderer's yeah. row it was. Right before the final out, ESPN cut to me and Steve. So, <laughs> yeah, I remember, I don't know if you remember this, but when the game was over, yeah. all high five in, my phone is blowing up. And I'm like, I mean, I know I'm a huge Cubs fan, and my friends, you know, they, they text me when a big Cubs moment goes down, but I didn't throw the no hitter. And then I read the text and they're like, Hey, you and burn were on TV. You and burn were all over ESPN Sunday night baseball, you and Steve burn. And I was like, Oh, thanks Roy. You just gave me my biggest TV credit in LA. Amazing. What's was funny about that night is that we were having such a good time drinking and talking shit. None of us realized a no hitter was happening until about the seventh. I feel like somewhere around the seventh inning, we just looked up at the scoreboard and was like, huh? I gotten a hit. Yeah. I noticed about the sixth, I think, or maybe the fifth. And I remember, I think Steve was about to say something and I'm like, no, 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 no. Wait, let's, let's not, uh, no. let's not open our mouths. And I didn't leave I my was, seat. I was drunk for sure. I, I remember, I remember that distinctly because that was my last weekend in LA before moving to New York to start at the daily show. I know that it's a perfect like a, Goodbye gift to myself. Yeah, and it was really cool. Thanks again for bringing me along. And I remember I didn't find out until afterwards because I just thought you were being the good guy that you were. And then I think like Sarah or Steve was like, oh, this is a great goodbye for you. And I'm like, wait, where are you going? Because I think the next day we had, and that game was like a Saturday or, or something. The next day we had like an official like goodbye party. And then Ryan yeah. Dalton and I loaded up that truck for you. Um, God bless you too. You don't even know what a lifesaver you don't even understand. Dude, I got oh to see a no-hitter because of you. I'll I'll drive you to the airport anytime you want, my friend. You've earned that. You, you got an Dalton, airport ride dude. for life. You and Dalton. That's for the people who don't know, when you get hired at these television shows, they give you literally like fucking five days to move your entire life to another coast. And it was in the middle of some gigs that I had that I could not cancel. Like, I just, I can't, because one, I needed the money. Two, it was fucking Hong Kong or some shit. So you're not going to find somebody to cover your your China run yeah, real quick. So I had to go over there and handle that. And so thankfully, you boys came through, man. Well, let's talk about that. Let's pivot. I'd like to get back to the Cubs because you have so many really cool Cubs moments. And I don't know if you noticed this, but I've been doing like, a Cubs podcast slash a regular podcast. So you're kind of a guest on both of them right now. You know what and I love about you? I love your dedication to the Cubs post game, no matter where you are on earth at that moment, as soon as the game, like you could wait, you could fucking wait till you're home in your four walls. And you're like, no, I'm in the car. I'm at fucking, I don't know. What's the store up there? Dominic's Harris Teeter. <laughs> <laughs> You're like in a grocery store parking lot. Like, listen, this is fun. And you've heard the game. Like you've been listening to, it's not like you're just freestyling off of the box score. You legit were following every pitch, every moment. And ugh, God bless you, bro. Well, dude, thanks. And it's also an obsession since I was a child. And you know, as comedians with the whole, you know, COVID-19, everything being shut down, I was like, I got a free, I've got so much free time and I need to be uh, productive with it. And I love the Cubs. So why not combine the two? And it was kind of funny because someone said, you know, you could have waited till you got home. And I go, no, man, I got to be hot off the presses with this. Yeah. I can't let other people yeah. get the views. They're going to steal my views. So I would, there'd be sometimes because comedy was slowly opening back up with these outdoor shows. And I remember doing one where I'm like, look behind me you guys could see there's a comedian on stage about 40 yards behind me in this park or whatever wherever i was <laughs> so yeah man you got to be on it straight uh, obsessed man i love it right so you get found out you got hired by the daily show right after seeing a no-hitter or not right before actually what was it like what's the audition process again a, a show like the daily show which has become iconic in the same way snl is for a lot of comedians the it's it's essentially so I auditioned, this was my second time auditioning. I auditioned back in 07 and shit the bed. And I realized what I did wrong was that I wasn't actively listening, which is part of acting and performance is to pretend that you give a fuck about what other people in the scene are saying. Um, so the Daily Show audition is pretty simple. You write a segment and then you perform a segment that their writers wrote for you. So essentially what we're looking for can you bring other people's thoughts to life? And do you have the type of thoughts that are congruent with the type of comedy that we want to do on the show um, going forward? 
And that's a weird thing because Trevor's a new host. So everything that John Stewart's done, you can't even look at that because you can't assume that any of that type of pieces or ideology uh, is going to be on the show. So you write out a segment, you send that in. If they like it, then you get to the second audition, which is essentially being able to come in and perform that material with Trevor. And so that's what I did. You sit down in a chair, Trevor's right there three feet from you, and you play it as if it's an actual episode of the show. And so, you know, in that, they're clocking performance and comedic timing on top of you being able to write the stuff. It's can you perform it? Because, you know, it's still a show. It's not just straight up stiff journalism. You got to be able to bring the jokes to life. And it just it was just one of those days where just fucking everything worked out, man. Fucking five for six with eight RBIs. Like just <laughs> one of those days where you walk out of the audition and you just know, even if I don't get it, I fucking did everything perfect. And that's all you can concern yourself with as a comedian, as an entertainer, period. Do your part. Everything else is out of your control. And that was that, man. Like, I was like, yeah, fuck y'all. I'm headed back to the airport. So I didn't even book a hotel. Like, I fucking landed at like 11 in the morning. My audition was at four and I was headed back to a seven o'clock fucking red eye to go back to the West Coast and got the call on the way back to the fucking airport. That's awesome. And so that was that. That's some cool show business stuff right there. Yeah, you know, you know, it doesn't always happen like that, but that was one where I was like, you know what? Yeah, that was a good fucking day. That what was, was your day. reaction? I had um I had Ryan Dempster, you know, former Chicago Cubs pitcher, Red Sox, Marlins. He was on my podcast about a month or so ago, and I asked him what was going through your head when you found out you got drafted by a major league baseball team. And I want to know what your reaction was because the daily show, that's a huge deal. So I think people are always fascinated. Like what goes through someone's head when they get this huge opportunity? Did you do like a little dance? You do a little fist pump, do a little no, shoulder dude. thing. What'd you, what'd you do? I sat in a corner and cowered in fear. <laughs> I am, I am more motivated by fear of failure than I am a desire to succeed. And I don't know if that's, the best approach, but it's gotten me 23 years in this business. So I will accept it. Um, I don't want to be the one to fuck it up, you know? And then you also look at the fact that, you know, I'm not, how can I put it? There haven't been a lot of black correspondents either, you know, like, you know, you looking before me, you got Larry Wilmore and then Jessica Williams was still one of the correspondents at the time. So you want to come in and do something that's good. And then also you're coming in on the daily show with Trevor Noah, not John Stewart. Everybody can't wait to talk shit about us because he's the man replacing the man and you're with the man replacing the man. So just, I don't know, instantly in my head, it was a desire to do well. So now it's okay. You got to start thinking of segments. You got to start thinking of stuff. You now is not the time to relax. Now is the time to really fucking dig in and really figure shit out. The one thing that I did that I, in hindsight, I did not have to do. I thought that everybody at the Daily Show was some sort of amazing poly science, Rain Man level, you know, like who was the state senator from Montana? 1972 through 1976 go well it was this one and this. i started trying to learn all that like i know all the presidents but not in order i don't know none of the vice presidents i got hired by the daily show i immediately start looking at online political science classes <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I, I must get smart i'm not i'm not smart enough i don't even know all the vice presidents and that was something i did not have to do your that job is to bring good. your perspective to the issues and there's other people in it. Everybody has a strength and together we form Voltron or excuse me for the younger people, Power Rangers. We form a Megazord or whatever. And so that was probably the one thing I did not have to do. I was excited. I was thankful, you know, because I felt like I was at a point career wise where I felt like I was stuck in mud. So it's good to have an opportunity to at least kind of validate. OK, you're doing something decent. If you're at least on their radar, 
you're doing yeah. something in the ballpark of what needs to be done. So that part of it was cool, but I'd say that Cubs game, that was the night of celebration. And then from then on, it was just, all right, how do I not get fired? What can I yeah, do you- to not get fired? Because I started doing research on all of the other previous correspondents, right? And we talk about this Daily Show institution and all the stars that have come from this show and <laughs> such an esteemed fucking John Stewart's tree. The roots extend throughout the cable universe. There's way more motherfuckers who didn't, who weren't able to pivot after this show. I'm just being straight up. And that's not a diss. It's not talking shit. It's about the fact that there have, there are two paths when you leave a show. Same way we talk about SNL as an institution. It's a lot of motherfuckers who left SNL. Shit didn't pop for them afterwards. Yeah, it's true. And it could be for a number of reasons. That's not a knock on any of those people or their talents. My point is, as I started really doing the research on the lineage of the show, okay, well, what has everybody before me done comedically so that I could find my own lane? You start finding out that this hit rate of people who leave and really pop it's not as high as what people purport it to be. So of course there's plenty of people, but when you look at the entire talent pool, it's, it's not as big of a percentage as people think. And so that fed the paranoia, you know, cause that's me. I'm looking for how this will go wrong and how can I avoid that? And so that became my approach. So I don't know, man, fear has a way of taking nervousness off the table for me. So, yeah, no, dude, it's really, it's philosophical in a lot of ways, though, because I was talking to a guy you know, Mick Betancourt. I'm sure you know him, right? Mm-hmm. He was yeah. talking once where he says so many people have a fear of success. And I go, really fear of success? He goes, yeah, because think about it this way. If people had a real fear of failure, they'd do everything to run from it. And you are an example of someone who really does have a fear of failure because the way you're describing it, it's you're immediately going to a place where it's like, how do I avoid all of that shit? I don't want to be just another name of, of someone who took this opportunity and didn't cash in on it or didn't make my mark. And man, I did not realize the amount of pressure because you guys were essentially saved by the bell, the new class, you know, it's like you got Trevor. Who's kicker. great. It's going to take time for that whole class to find its footing though. You know, here's the kicker, bro. We only had six weeks from when John Stewart did his last show to our first show. Wow. Six weeks. So at a weird time in America, we define. Yeah. In the, in an election year with an election coming up in two months, we're having to figure out what I have to learn this job and then also learn what is the tone of the show? What's my voice? What, you know, where do I fit in, in all of this, you know, and I got to give Trevor credit because, you know, he really got out of the correspondence way on the front end and really letting up letting us pitch stories that we were passionate about because that essentially made us more comfortable. So you're not sending me out on something that I didn't really that I'm not vibing with. It's like, no, I actually give a fuck about this issue. So that means you're going to ask more engaging questions, which are going to create more interesting moments for comedy in the room with the interview subjects. So yeah, it was definitely it was definitely like a lot of things happening at the same time creatively. And, you know, that part of it was a little nervous, but on the actual night, on the night of the first show, um, you know, my number gets called. And so on the one hand, I'm nervous. And then that's where thankfully doing a lot of like late night television and last comic standing, like, I've done live television enough to know that it doesn't fucking matter. Just say what, just read the prompter and do the jokes. Like forget the fact that this is airing on 12 different Viacom networks simultaneously. And every TV critic on earth is going to try to rip this to shreds in the morning. Just do your job. And And you hit it out of the park, man. You, I remember your first one, you had that great thing about, if a black guy were on the spaceship, like we can't even get a cab. We're not getting on a spaceship. Yeah, we're not going to Mars. Black people yeah. aren't going to Mars. Stop giving a fuck about any news about Mars. Like every every three weeks, they release some new interesting tidbit about science shit in space. And I'm like, 
Motherfuckers can't get approved for home loans on earth. <laughs> you're not you're not getting approved for a Martian fucking trip. Dude, that's great that Trevor was I, I love as a comedian myself, obviously, and someone who was a fan of that show, you know, years before I even got into comedy, I feel like I love hearing stories where people in charge get out of the way. You know, I read a whole thing about how so many of the HBO shows are successful because they don't do network notes there, really. You know, mm -hmm. and you know so much about like these, you know, network shows where executives come on down and they're always getting in the way and changing things where it's like, damn it, you hired these super talented people, get out of their way, let them do what you hired them for, and everyone will be happier for it. Uh, because man, you, I feel like my first year, I moved to LA in 2014. I was a standing on Sullivan and Son, which is a show you were on. And I remember that season of Sullivan and Son, I felt like, damn, Roy's really like, stepped it up because you your acting got so good and you were like delivering the line so much funnier not that you weren't good the first two seasons but i feel like i'm sure a lot of people gave you that compliment season three and from that season of the last season of sullivan son through daily show through you know this is not happening all these other side projects you've done even the little shit dude you're one of the first comics i came across that was good on snapchat so many comics i know sucked <laughs> on snapchat i i don't even know why i had a snapchat i couldn't with it man that cpt that time stuff was so funny man man thanks brother like i sullivan and son was was a fun time but then that also taught me a lot about just acting in general like i think the best thing that could have happened like you know because there were 10 there were 10 characters on that show and granted i was, was a lot essentially like one of the lesser characters so you know you you don't have to play to me every episode but it was it was dope like it was like being the rookie so it's the rookie quarterback who's got to sit back and watch the vets. So I might get a couple of, in season one, I might get a couple of lines every episode, but my job for the most part is to kick back and watch Christine Ebersol and Brian Doyle Murray and Dan Laurie, a fucking wreck shop and just watch straight at like we see that's literally what we used to call it. We used to call it. We, we Stage shot it. 19. Stage 19 acting yeah, school. I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> that's what we call it. <laughs> I'm a graduate of stage 19 acting school at the Burbank Warner Brothers lot. So that was a good time. And that really helped inform a lot of stuff on The Daily Show. Because the thing that we started doing that they never did under Jon Stewart was sketches. We started yeah. doing more. Like the field pieces always could have something weird and wonky in them. Like the field pieces could have a sketch element. But then as the show evolved, we started doing proper actual sketches separate and apart that weren't even connected to a field piece. And so that became like a spot where you could kind of hone in on the shit that you learned and saw, you know, Dan Laurie and them doing. So I always feel like the best actors are that they're borrowing a lot from other people that they've seen and creating their own recipe. And so I'm trying to do that. I don't think I'm there yet, but it, it's fun to have opportunities here and there to, um, to chip away at it. Dude, I fucking got to do space force. Let me tell you some shit. Um, I got to do Space Force and I got a scene with Steve Carell. And so there's this. That was a great show, by the way. The, they still haven't said shit about a renewal. Like, it's like, you know, it's really? been so long. We're just like, are you going to do it or not? Just fucking, or are they waiting because of COVID? Who knows? Yeah. But I don't know, but I know they're doing a um, morning show again for Apple. So I know Steve Carell is going to have to knock that out before he can come back and do Space Force. Um, the thing that's dope about The Daily Show and being a part of this, this fraternity is how warm everybody else is to you that's come through those doors before you. Like, I can't explain it. Like, it's some shit that, like, I don't know. I imagine it's like when a motherfucker in the Navy sees a motherfucker in the army and you're just both at a food court and you just give each other a nod because you both know yeah. what you've been through to wear that uniform. I saw John Oliver at just a random spot in Manhattan and he walked over to me. Like I wasn't going to say shit to him. Like I was just going to say, you know, give him a little nod. He beelines to me. There's a couple of things you need to know about this job if you're really going to do it well. And he just <laughs> starts running down shit, unsolicited OG advice. Uh, same thing with Colbert. 
uh, Samantha B. Jason Jones, um, he put me in an episode of The Detour when that was still running on TBS. And we had a long talk about that shit, man. And Carell was no different. And on the acting side, I can't even explain it because nobody would understand it who's not in the business. But Steve Carell can take one line of dialogue. Let's say he has five lines of dialogue, right? He can play lines one and five the same and then do something different with lines two, three, and four. Or he can play line one the way he played line four, which alters how he plays line two. Like the adjustments that he's making on the fly. And it's all based on what you're doing in the scene against him. It's wow. some fucking fuck, man. Like if you watch football, it's it's some zone blitz QB sneak QB spy zone blitz shit option. It's like the option versus the zone blitz. It's like, are we going up the middle? Am I bootlegging? Am I going to toss? Maybe I'll pass. Depends on what your safety does. If your safety shifts. So like it's fun. It's, it's that, but for comedy, and you know, it's fucking, it was people, amazing to watch. I'm glad you compared it to sports. Cause I feel like that's such an easy entry point for people to understand you know, you mentioned Dan Loria and all these people earlier, the pe- actors like Steve Carell, people who are getting nominated for things or when they do something are automatically in the conversation. They're operating on such like a higher level. It's really insane with like an NFL quarterback. We've all seen that guy in high school. Oh, this quarterback in my high school is really amazing. I can't, this whole other level of things that you see in comedy and acting and sports is just it's awe-inspiring. I wish more people wouldn't hate on it. I think people are so quick to like hate on these people who are in positions of success, but it's really, it's, it's hard. It really is hard what they're doing. Yeah. It's acting, but it's still incredibly difficult. The problem with comedy, comedic acting, stand up, comedy as a genre, comedy is the only genre that the consumer accidentally does from time to time themselves. You're That's never true. accidentally singing. You're never accidentally a good dancer. But from time to time, you make people laugh. And so now you think you know fucking comedy because you got them all chuckling around the water cooler that one time about that one. It was probably a fucking tweet you stole <laughs> and didn't even attribute to anyone. So I think that's where comedy gets criticized more. That movie didn't do it for me. like whenever people bash a comedy like i always feel like when people don't like a drama they're just oh it didn't connect and i see what they were attempting to do but it didn't fucking but if it's a comedy it's like fucking didn't laugh only laughed twice fuck the whole movie but did you even try to evaluate where they were whatever man no you're right you're right well let me pivot a little bit from there then um this might be a more depressing question, but where do you see the future of stand-up comedy these next few years with all that's going on in the world? Yikes, bro. Um, the clubs seem to still be open, and unless there's a national shutdown again, I think the comedy clubs will continue to operate at half capacity. So, full disclosure, I did a week of shows the first week of October. It was my first time on stage since February. It's the only time I was on stage. I did four or five shows. I had a college that I had to do. Well, that I agreed to do. I didn't have to do it. I agreed to do it. And so to get to make sure I had the rust off for that gig, I did a bunch of, you know, physically distanced rooftop shows and outdoor shows and you know, all of the, the usual stand up in the wilderness. Yeah, that's starting to happen now. And so. The people who were there laughed harder there. I'll say this about comedy club audiences now. They are more in tune with the craft. There's no casual. No one's going out in the pandemic for casual. Is it going to be funny? I don't know. Let's just see. No, the people who are there fucking want to laugh. Same like the NFL. Those people out there, they really fucking love football. If you're fucking out in this shit, you didn't just get some tickets from your boss. You're not a. You're not a fucking bachelorette party who won 10 tickets in the fishbowl giveaway email blast. So the people who are there really love the craft. I just don't know if the business model right now, you know, will be able to survive in the long run. When I say the business model, I mean the concept of these comedy clubs that have 400 seats. You know, you can sell 150 
and jack up the ticket price, but there's only so many comedians that can sustain that, that can justify a $40 or $50 ticket price, you know, for what normally should be, you know, 15 to $20 per person. Yeah, that's true. So, you know, I don't, I don't know, bro. I think a lot of it also comes down to how many of the bigger name acts are willing to come back to the clubs for a while. I think they'll have to, I think the itch will get them and the same way it got me. And you'll have to go to venues that can legally be open. And right now that ain't theaters and a damn show ain't arenas, not for no concerts of any larger capacities. I think there were, no matter what, I'll say this because I'm sure there's some comedian listening that just got into it and is nervous. Um, There's always been a need for the arts. There's always been a need for shows. You know, you know, people talk about the Spanish flu, the Harlem Renaissance started after that. So damn, that's true. It'll come back. I forgot about that. Yeah. I believe it'll come back too. Bert Kreischer suggested. Did you see what he suggested? Bert Kreischer said that like some of the really big names, like the guys who are selling out theaters, they should even go to these comedy clubs and do Mondays and Tuesdays just to like really give them a boost. That way the comics who are already kind of doing those funny bones and improvs, they don't really lose their spot. Cause I guess the fear was that some of the theater guys would go back to the clubs and then it would push. Oh yeah. Everybody gets demoted down. Yeah. Going down a Everybody gets field. demoted. It's like if baseball just lopped off single A and double A. Which is kind of what happened, right. actually, when you think about it. The yeah, minor league season last year. <laughs> it's like that that works um, because it keeps the clubs open in the long run. But then the question becomes, if the bigger name acts play on a Monday, Tuesday, the guys who are selling – who are trying to sell a ticket. Like I'll, I'll use myself as a perfect example. I don't sell out everywhere that I perform. I probably have, I'd say 15 cities where I know I can go in on a weekend and I know every seat is going to be filled and we may add a show, right? Um, Let's take a market like say, I'm trying to think of a market where I just sell okay. Um, Let's say Austin, Texas which Cap City Comedy Club just closed, RIP. Yeah, it sucks. Cap City Comedy Club seats about 300 or so people. Um, in a regular non-COVID weekend, I was probably selling about 250 seats out of 300, right? That's great. Respectable. Respectable. That's good. That's a good thing to build on. You come next year and 250 yeah, becomes 300. But I'm not, I've never sold that club out, right? And only sold 250 when you can fill that bitch up. Now with COVID, you can only sell, let's say, 75 seats out of 300. Let's just say it's 25% capacity, right? Yeah. You're going to have to charge more to see me at $75 to make up that money to stay open and be functional. And to Bert's to Bert's suggestion hopefully there's enough people like me where $75 people would pay damn near double to keep the club open. But what the club may end up having to do is to go from being a four or five night a week club and become a three night a week club and book acts like Bert and Bill Burr and all of these people that already do the arenas and book them on those weekends just to stay open. And everybody guys like me in certain markets, I got to go back down to triple eight. And that's yeah. and that is what it is. And that's not a bad thing if we're talking about the greater good of the of the craft and the business. But I'm also on a fucking television show and I have money to kite me in between. When we when you and I both know that comedy is sustained by the guys on the road. The comedy clubs are sustained. You know, I was a road comic for a decade before I moved to LA. I was in Birmingham and I logged half a million miles between two cars. So those are the guys that keep the clubs open, but they also appeal to the casual comedy fan. And I really think that the business of comedy boils down to the person who was deciding between us and a movie choosing us. Yeah. That's where the comedy club money is made. It's made on the people on the fringe who wanted to do something different for a change or, Ooh, let's mix it up. Whereas right now, motherfuckers leaving the house. They got to love you. They got to fucking, I am risking infecting my lungs with the shit 
to come <laughs> chuckle. So I got to know who you are. So I just think I think comics can counter that by doing what they can to build their buzz online. And you may you may see a rise of indie venues. I personally think it's going to go back to the speakeasy, bro. Oh, that'd be kind of cool, though, actually, in a way. I, I mean, think we're going back be... to the hundred seaters with like 50 people in there. Sexy, just keep, you know? Yeah. That I might like be that, the man. new fucking thing. And you figure out another way to get your money. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, let me, yeah. I, I I don't want to hold you too much longer, but I got to ask you, yeah. you, it's the four year anniversary. You and I are talking four years ago today, the Chicago Cubs beat the Cleveland Indians to win their first world series in 108 seasons in Cleveland game seven. You were there, Roy, oh. tell me what it was like. And also you got to address your attire for that game, what you were wearing. <laughs> All right. We'll start with the attire. So when I first got to New York, I was gifted a Chicago Cubs bathrobe. It looks like the Cubs home jersey, right? It's so cool. So I'm gifted this robe. And I remember going to a game early in the year that year. It was like an April, still breezy at Wrigley. I go, well, you know what? The robe is the perfect fucking thing to wear to that. That makes perfect sense. So I wore a fucking Cubs robe to a baseball game. Had to leave it open, though, because people assume you're naked underneath when you have a robe on. That's <laughs> so true. the Cubs won. And then I thought, all right, that was funny and stupid. I ended up going to another Cubs game. I was like, fuck it, I'll wear another one. I'll wear it again. Wore it again. They won again. Then when I watched them at home, I'd wear the robe. So then I just called it the victory robe. I was like, this is the Cubs victory robe. So this is the lucky robe that I will wear when I'm doing X, Y, Z, anything Cub oriented. Addison Russell hits the grand slam game five. Game six. Sorry. I'm game six. Game six like I'm that. sorry. Addison Russell hits, hits the grand slam game six. I turn to my girl. I go, these motherfuckers might go to a game seven. And it's the middle of a work week. I think game seven was on a Wednesday. Yep. Maybe a Thursday. I'm pretty sure it was a Wednesday. And so Trevor Noah is a huge sports guy. You know, he's, you know, he's from overseas. So he's more of a, you know, English Premier League, but he understands the gravity of a game seven. Oh, those guys get it. Yeah. So Cubs win. I wear the victory robe to work for good vibes all day. And I've never, you have to understand, bro, I've never spent money on really anything. You know me. I I don't wear jewelry. I don't have an expensive watch. I drove a Kia Sorento. Before that, I had a Ford Focus. Like, you wore jeans to the batting cages once. I mean, you went to the <laughs> yes. batting cages. You wore jeans. I'm like, maybe Roy doesn't have sweatpants. Maybe he doesn't have some windbreakers. I just don't jeans. care. I, just, I knew <laughs> I wasn't going to hit all of those balls. And so I walk into work. It's 9 a.m. Morning meeting is at uh, is at 9.30. And so I walk into, you know, the building and Trevor just stares at me. He goes, what are you doing? I go, I'm, what do you mean? He goes, why are you still here? I go, what are you talking about? He goes, are, those, are you not a Cubs fan? I go, yes. He goes, are the Cubs not on the brink of doing something they haven't done in over a century? I say, yes. He goes, again. Why are you here? And I go, are you fucking serious? He goes, leave now before everybody knows. And then they want the same concessions when their team gets to the championship. <laughs> it's a great boss. So I hop on StubHub. I buy an outfield seat, 10 rows back. I got it. I hate to say the price, but, pe but people always, you want to know what the ticket costs. Say it. <laughs> $2,100. Wow. $2,100 fucking dollars. But I've never, Joe, you know me. I've never, I don't wear nice sneakers. I wear very average. I wear sneakers that are nice enough to not get picked on <laughs> when I'm out in public, but I don't collect shit. I fucking still have an iPhone eight as of this conversation. Like, but that 2100, man, that was the best fucking money I've ever fucking swiped a charge card for. And I left work. I went home and just got my backpack, got a couple things and fucking flew to Cleveland, saw the fucking Cubs clinch, walked out of Jacobs Field, fucking, excuse me, progressive field. Yeah. Um, 
I, I'm one of those guys. I call stadiums by the name when they were first fucking built. I ain't got time for all this change in corporate sponsorship shit. All right. I still call Comiskey Park where the White Sox play. So yeah, it's I get Enron. It. I know Enron was a cricket corporation and destroyed the lives of millions of people, but it ain't Minute Mate. It's fucking Enron. Yeah, so, I got gotcha. you. Still Peck Bell to me too. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Long live Barry Bunt. Yeah. So, um, I so long story short, um, I go, I see the game. It was fucking, it was, it was amazing, bro. It's, it's a top three sports moment. That it's, it's easily a top three sports moment. It is the top, and I went right back. So my, my point is, I'm walking out of the stadium. It starts raining as soon yeah. as the game ended, and I'm soaking wet in a fucking bathrobe. <laughs> I have no coat. I have no umbrella. None of this shit. And I get in the cab, dripping wet, and I go, take me to the airport, please. And I slept in the Cleveland airport, eagerly awaiting TSA to open so I could fly back to New York and fucking go to work again. And that robe has never smelled the same since. Smells like victory, though. That's a victory (laughs) robe. You were by yourself at this game, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went along, which is the way to watch sports, by the way. I've been to a game by myself. It's underrated. I agree. Especially if you buy a single ticket, they put you with other people who bought single tickets. You end up making friends. Were there Cubs fans around you? Not really. It was a lot of Indians fans. There was one or two. The Indian fans, to their credit, were very gracious because we're both cursed franchises, so there was no real beef. Uh, It was very quiet in the outfield, and then... You know, they started, you know, you saw what I, the, the collapse, we collapsed in the, in the ninth and the Indians tied. And then that's when the Indians fans just started. They were awake and they were talking shit and fucking Roger. Yeah, bitch. <laughs> and then they just casually walked away. There's a great picture of me. Um, if you search Cubs game seven, it's somewhere in the Getty images of me holding up the losers no more sign that I made during the rain delay. And just a dejected Indians fan walking past me. And it's just so fucking perfect. I saw, I've seen that so sign. Perfect. It's it's a beautiful image. Oh, That's another thing you man. should get framed. You got a lot of things. I, I know you're not a materialistic guy, but I want I, I want you in a home, in a nice house, <laughs> cigar, and all these cool memories behind you. Yeah, yeah. And people you recognize you where they're like, hey, you're on The Daily Show. The photographers did, which was uh, weird. Because funny. like we were sitting left center field, so we were in the... Um, just just off of the hitter's hitter's eye. So all the media was in that pit taking photos and shit. Oh, so they cool, looked at cool. me like, oh, what are you doing here? Aren't you supposed to be at work? I'm like, my boss is cool, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> so yeah, that was that was a that was a good time, man. That was a I good think it's time. amazing that two of the greatest nights of your life, besides your son being born, is that uh are days in which you didn't have a hotel. You flew to a place and flew back. Yeah. Both getting lived. hired by the Daily Show. And yeah, just live. Yeah. I think one of the other sports moments somewhere up there is one of those first SEC championship games where Alabama, I used to sell sodas at Alabama games. And I sold sodas during that 92 season where um, where they eventually won the national title. That I can't really pinpoint a game, but to be present for all of the home games. I'll say this about college football. It I get why it's a church-like experience for a lot of people. I'm not into it, you know, in a diehard capacity, but as a sports fan, you should pick one of those cathedral schools and go to a game. If you're truly a sports fan, like I think you should, there's certain things you should just see. You should see Kentucky Derby. That's on my list. NASCAR is still, I want to go to Daytona. Like that one's, on my list but nascar you got to do the whole weekend and i have a kid now so that's a pain and i i gotta wait for my kids to get older to do a kentucky derby weekend or that but yeah i've been to the big house yeah some great uh you're right cathedral places you gotta check out you gotta go to the cathedrals baseball you've got to hit dodger wrigley and fenway yes you know those are all terrible seats by the way i gotta go to fenway i've not been to fenway yet fenway's weird because some of the seats don't face the fucking field they're angled towards the outfield. Like, like you have to look to the left like a fucking Marine in a parade 
<laughs> to see what's happening at home plate. Like that's. <laughs> I mentioned Giants ballpark earlier. Where the, we went, I went to uh, Game Three of the NL uh, DS in 2016, the one where Chris Bryant hit a home run to tie it, to send it in extra innings. We ended up losing. It was the one game we lost. We won in four. But where I was sitting, like way up in left field. You couldn't tell if it was a home run because you're up so high. You can't looking down. You couldn't see the fence. So I remember when the ball was in the air, I reacted off the Cubs dugout. I saw the ball in the air and I looked to the Cubs dugout and I saw them put their arms up and I'm like home run. And people are like, are you sure? I'm like, yes. And then that's when you saw Bryant start to trot around the bases. And then everyone, yeah. ah, you know, and I'm like, why did why? that's a modern stadium. Fenway was built in 1912. So I get it there, but a modern stadium, get your shit together, you know? You think Bryant stays or you think he's gone? I think, I think he's, he's gone, sadly, because I, I I love the guy. It was just a bad timing. Um as as a as a dude, when, yeah, they, I'm when sure. they kept him, when they kept him in Iowa for that extra two weeks or whatever yeah. that was in 16, I was like, it's gonna come back to bite him. I think it might bite him, but this whole COVID year was so crazy, bud. Like Think about as guys like us who, you know, travel doing comedy, we kind of understand in, in some regard the need to blow off steam after a bad set, right? With yeah. COVID baseball, when you these guys who are struggling, because a lot of big names had bad years this season. Yeah, Javi had a tough time. Javi had a terrible year. And then like Nolan Arenado on the other side and a few guys in Boston, even Corey Seager before the playoffs had a rough year. Not Corey Seager, uh, Bellinger. Uh, Christian Yelich had a terrible year. Anyway, though, in a typical season, when things aren't going well, you do a little slump buster action, or you go like, "Hey, let's go to the casino tonight. Let's let's go to a bar. Let's forget about all this stuff." But you can't do that during COVID. People would take your picture, going, "Hey, we saw so and so at Paris Club. We saw this guy over here like losing yeah, the craps table, like they did the Cardinals." Yeah, they went to the Ozarks, which is just like meth city. Why would you even do that? Anyway, um, it just or at least the Ozarks TV show makes me think that. But I kind of felt bad for some of the athletes in the sense because they had to like just go dwell on it in their hotel and baseball is such a mental sport too. You go over 12, all of a sudden you're like, am I ever going to get hit again? And I think that really yeah. compounded things in a two month season too. You get a bad 15 game start. You're thinking, well, well crap. If I don't turn things around soon, I'm not going to hit 300 this year. And then it's, it just, it just, it gets in your head even more. Yeah. So yeah. That's I, I know that Lester is probably gone. I saw that article the other day or whatever, where he bought, was it like thirty thousand dollars worth of beer? Like yeah, the it beer. came out today. Lester did. I think it was like almost forty thousand dollars worth of Miller Lights, which was really a class move. Yeah, yeah, he's gone. <laughs> yeah, a, it seems that way. He could get more money somewhere else, and the Cubs are reshuffling some stuff. But I still think they're going to aim to be competitive. It's just they're going to have a different look to them. Like the money, if Bryant goes, that's twenty million freed up, um, and then they could get a guy like. They could get like a Justin Turner for like 12 or 13 million because he's older now. He's more of a contact bat, so less strikeouts. I think they're kind of looking to go that route. They could have Tommy LaStella back, who's a big contact guy who hits fastballs well. So even though they're going to like lose a couple guys that we've all known and loved from the World Series team, I think they'll still aim to be competitive, just structurally different, you know? Yeah, it's all one long delayed goodbye. That's what sports is anyway. Yeah, you always need a beautiful metaphor for life because sooner or later, this guy is not going to be wearing your team shirt anymore. Yeah, bands break up. Teams that you love break up. I mean, I'll always worship this team. It's important to learn. That's what I think kids should have. They should have a favorite band, a favorite player, and a favorite pet. They will all (laughs) let them down. (laughs) <laughs> you know what's funny about that dude here this was this is more for you i've told my listeners this a few times my three-year-old son and i'll let you go but again thanks roy so yeah, much yeah. for being the podcast my three-year-old son loves the beatles he has no what? idea they broke up 50 years ago oh no he doesn't know john lennon died my wife was oh. my, wife, my wife said like hey what year did john lennon die and my three-year-old goes john lennon died i'm like no she's I'm like, what are you doing i don't oh. want to dude i skipped the scene in lion king when mufasa dies i just am not ready for these conversations he's three so oh, one no. day it's gonna be a, a rough uh it's gonna be a rough week around this house bro my son knows about death bro he loved you know what his favorite favorite animal is the venus flytrap really and that's cool he loves carnivorous plants so he fly traps, <laughs> pitcher plants. There's one called the honeydew that fucking rolls insects up like a burrito. So the concept of death, like he turned to me one day, he goes, after it eats it, where's its stomach? And so now as a father, I can't lie to him. So I have to go, well, son, 
the Venus flytrap sucks the juice out of the, the body and then the empty shell of an insect falls to the ground when it opens its mouth anew for a new victim. And he went, oh, okay. Like just processed it and kept it moving. And I don't know if I'm raising like a regular child or fucking Dexter Morgan over here. I don't know. <laughs> no, I think you're doing it right. I'm going to have to face this conversation. Hold on. If he asks me, I'll tell him bands break up. Um, famous people should have protection when they walk around New York City in 1980. I'll have to <laughs> break it all down for him. But uh, Roy, man, dude, where's like, what's the best platform people should follow you on? Twitter, Instagram? What do you think? I probably talk the most shit on Twitter. Don't bother me on Facebook. I only check that like three times a month. Yeah, um, I, I barely go on that too. Instagram yeah. is fine, but I like Twitter because it's just more interactive and day to day. It's more conversational. I'm more conversational than I am visual. And everyone, yeah, everyone check out Roy on Twitter, Instagram, all that kind of stuff. And he's also got a bunch of great comedy specials. Uh, your your uh, father figure was the name of your, what was that, two comedy that specials the first ago? One. That was the, that first, was the one. first one. And then the second one was No One Loves You. No One Loves You. There we go. Uh, both of them are probably available via the Comedy Central app, I believe. Yeah, I should have done my homework on that one. Um, There's a bunch of clips of it together on YouTube. Just watch it all on YouTube, put it together in your head, reassemble it. There you go. Awesome. Dude, <laughs> thanks so much for being on the podcast. I'll uh, I'll talk to you soon and um hopefully the election goes smoothly for you guys. I know it's got to be um a crazy time at the Daily Show right now. We'll come back to that another time. Yeah. Another time. Yeah, we'll do another we'll podcast in the future. <laughs> All right, dude, you're the best, man. Thanks All right, again. Bro. Yeah, man.